Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, today we have on the show an absolute dynamo, Tina Tower. And today Tina shares with us her absolutely fascinating story of how she came to the point of selling her business, what selling her business felt like, as well as the many, many lessons that she learned along the way, including why she felt the need to set up an earnout support group. So now, look, this episode is absolutely essential listening if you are building a business for sale into the future or if you're right at the point of looking at selling your business. It's also really useful listening if you are in the mode of business acquisitions because we talk about a number of elements such as earnouts that can have issues on both sides of the fence. Whether you're approaching it from a sell perspective or a buy perspective, Tina also reflects on a number of lessons that she learnt along the way and maybe some things that she might do differently if she had the opportunity again. This is such a wonderful episode. It's a wonderful episode of hearing about the real benefits that you can get in selling a business, but some of the real warnings along the way as well. And on our sister podcast, Talking Law, we also get into more of a discussion with Tina, particularly about the differences between licensing and franchising and how she moved her business from a startup business to one that was involved in licensing and then into franchising. And so if you're interested in understanding the differences between licensing and franchising, or if you're indeed considering entering into one of these sorts of arrangements for your own business, then make sure you head over and check out Talking Law. Um, In our show notes, we will link to that episode in Talking Law. So uh, make sure you check that out. But for now, here we are with Tina talking all about how she prepared the business for exit and how that exit process went. So here we go with Tina. Tina, I just want to say a massive thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks, Joanna. It's fantastic to be here. So, Tina, I I guess there's a number of things that I really wanted to talk to you about today. Um, And I heard you talking about the story of how you you started and then grew your business and then franchised it and then ultimately sold it and, and then moved on to a new career now. So then you said you had an option between mm. um, having someone else running the business yeah. and exiting the business. Yes. Maybe can you talk about that thought process, yeah. process for you at that time? Yeah, so we, we seriously went down that road. We looked at getting investment and getting a CEO and a management team in and doing all of that. Um, and it came down to would I disconnect? from it? Um, Would I be able to let go a bit of that control and just let someone do their thing and step aside? And I, in the end, the decision was, if I'm going to step aside, I may as well 
cash out um, and get that now rather than risk someone taking it in a direction that I don't want to. And I knew I would be like a classic micromanager because even oh, you know, like I used to have this pet peeve. I've still got this pet peeve. If anyone ever sends me an email with like kind regards on it and I'm like, no, no, (laughs) there's no regards or kind regards. Like we're like, thank you. Oh, no, I think that could be on my my email sign-off, so I apologise right now, Tina. I mean, you are in law, so you're (laughs) forgiven for that because it's such a lawyer thing to do. But I'm like, I used to, back in Begin Bright days, I would sign off my emails with sparkles and sunshine. And so, like, I was really picky on everything because everything carried across the brand and the perception. And so I knew that if I was going to let go of that, I had to not look. I had to be, there was no, like, one foot in, one foot out for me. Yeah. I either had to be all in or or move on. And so that's why we thought we'll see what happens if we put it on the market and we put it on the market and it sold really, really quickly. Um, and so it was kind of just done. So let's talk about that process then. Mm. So you you were not even, it sounds like, not even entirely sure that this was the right way to go. Mm. We'll just yeah. we'll throw it on the market and, and we'll give it a run. Yeah. Um, how did you spend any time preparing the business for sale before you yeah. put it on I the should, market? I should caveat with that. The business was always built to sell. So Mm. right from the very beginning, um, I knew I wasn't going to do it forever. I wanted to do it to 100 sites. Mm. That was the goal that I had stuck in my mind and then I was going to reassess them. So we had kind of set everything and that was why it was so expensive too. Like we had PricewaterhouseCoopers as accountants and like everything Mm. was so fancy schmancy hunky dory in the back end so that when it did come time to sell that it looked respectable for a a big company to acquire us because it was always done it wasn't done like a backyard small business kind of thing yeah which is very very clever very clever yeah and when you say the business was always built to sell can you tell us what you mean by that so we talked about the accountants but yeah but but what else what what did that look like everything um, in terms of like everything was top, top quality. Everything was very conscious to, I built the brand with personal brand using a lot of it, but always under the business brand name, if that makes Mm. sense. So Mm. I would promote the business and do all of that, but it was always standing alone on its own. Mm. Mm. Um, So I did that a lot. What else made the big difference in doing that? The way we structured it uh, in terms of company setup, the way I paid myself as an employee. We had a board, we had minutes, we had records of everything. I systemized the crap out of everything. I was Um, going to say that must have been an element. And, of course, you would have required that for franchising. Yeah, even down to everything that I did. So my thing always was I think when we got up to like five or six franchises, like sale for me was such a pie in the sky sort of thing but why I started getting into like being a systems nut was people were giving me their life savings to start a franchise Mm. and I thought this whole business relies on me if something happens tomorrow and I get hit by a bus or something happens to my kids Mm. I had a friend whose son got brain cancer and Mm. she just left life which is totally I'm like I would literally just 
you wouldn't see me until my child was well again. And I'm going, Mm. I can't afford to run a company like this and do that. And so the whole purpose of creating all of our systems was that so I could disappear tomorrow and Mm. everyone would know what to do. Brilliant. Okay. I absolutely love it. Um, so, so you had the, the financial, the, the organizational, the, the, um, the legal, I'm sure the legal or set up. Oh my God. Don't even get me started on franchise lawyers. <laughs> I actually had a fabulous franchise lawyer. It's <laughs> cost um, a fortune. <laughs> the lawyers, but you, so, so you, you were set up with this concept that you felt like you were built for sale. But when it came time to sell, was there anything that you had to go and finesse? Was there stuff that you decided to go and clean up? Well, because you had started with that end in mind, it it created the rigour. Yeah, you, no, so it was that. it was only there. The only thing that we had to change was was, <laughs> and there wasn't that many, but there was quite a few addbacks in terms of like as a business owner, what I put through the business. Yes, someone normally wouldn't. Yes, yes, yeah. you're yeah. talking a very common thing here. Tina. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but I mean, I was always conscious of it, so it wasn't too hardcore. But there was. There was a few, yeah. Yes, got it. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, so you didn't have to do a lot of prime for sale, um, and you then threw it on the um, on the market, and then and, and presumably you used an advisor for this. You used a broker. I used a broker. Advisor. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. yeah. Which people ask me quite a bit, like, do you think that was a good thing or not? Because again, you pay them a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the inquiries that we had straight away, and look, the broker didn't do too much in terms of as soon as an inquiry came in, they wanted to speak to me and they wanted to ask me questions. And so he did none of the sales at all. It was all me. And I'm going, no one can sell the business like I can mm. anyway. But mm. even it was even worth the fee because we were talking to three different international companies and I wouldn't have had that connection had I just put it in like, seek business. Mm, mm. And you know what, I think that's such an important point because we talk quite often on the podcast about the benefit of competitive tension and the risks of not having competitive tension. And sometimes as a seller, if the process itself has been easy or quick, Mm. you you may miss. Feel like it's not worth it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have had it without it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I looked at it, but at the same time I went like, I would never have found those people if I tried to sell mm. on my own yeah mm. brilliant okay so so you used um a, a broker in the process mm-hmm. what were the things was there anything in the process that you know reflecting back on it you, you had have wished you wished you had have known from the beginning Talk yeah us through those, <laughs> Tina. I'm like, that, that that facial reaction says yeah. it all yeah are you kidding um, oh, yeah. I mean like one of the best advices that I acted on from my accountant, which I'm really glad, was when we decided to sell, she upped my salary saying that if we were to buy, uh, if we were to sell on an earnout, that it's likely that they'll match my existing salary. Mm. So she put me like sky high in terms of salary that was like triple what I'd been being paid. Mm. Um, and that turned out to be the best thing ever because that did happen. I did get on an earnout and they did match the salary. So that was like something I was like, well, that made my legal fees for the last few years worth. <laughs> Thank you very much. 
Um, so that was really good. Coming back, I think I wish I'd read the contract with less sunshine and rainbows and more as in the apocalypse could happen so that mm. I was super prepared for all of the worst case scenarios because I am very much of the thing of she'll be right, you know, don't worry about it, just just go for it. Um, and shit did hit the fan a little bit um, in a few different scenarios. I also, we got one offer that was lower, but it was a two-month change out. Like it was just a two month handover and gone. And then I got one that was substantially higher, but a two year earn out. And in hindsight, I wish I'd taken the lower and just Mm -hmm. been able to cleanly walk away. But I did a really long earn out instead. Such a good point because Mm -hmm. I, I think many people just don't appreciate how the terms of the offer can be so much more important to reflect on than yes. just the price. Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, <laughs> it's hard to look past the dollars that are sitting there on the... Um, sure all, all I looked at. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the shit hitting the fan. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Well, obviously, I'm under really strict confidentiality. Absolutely. <laughs> Approximately what happened. Um, <laughs> Look, I think back to the control freak thing, the same reason why I couldn't hand it over to a CEO was the same reason that I really struggled working full-time in the company without having any rights to say, do anything. Um, That was like a special brand of torture for me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I still had franchisees calling me every day saying, Tina, can we do this? I want to do this. Why are they doing this? And I could do nothing. And so that was really, really hard. It was really hard having someone watch my time, not be able to come and go as I pleased, like all of those little bitty things that you don't really think about. You you become a traditional employee and I'd been self-employed my whole life. I'd never had a job. So it was really challenging having a boss that expected me to do like corporate reports and all sorts of things that I'm like, what? (laughs) Are you kidding me? Um, And you know, this is so common what you're talking about right now. And it's actually, it's interesting reflecting on it as well from a buyer perspective, Mm. because there's there's a strong desire by buyers to risk share through Um, And it's extremely common, even more so um, from COVID onwards, but it's Mm -hmm. always been very common. Um, But the the one thing that, you know, and sellers, I I think routinely just have no idea how um, much they're going to dislike being an employee, in inverted commas, um, because, you know, and there's this fabulous statistic that talks about, you know, once you've run your own business for five years, you're effectively unemployable. And I would agree with that. That means in your own business, right? But but the flip side is the buyers perhaps not always understanding that by adding this earn out, this requirement for the seller to stay in the business for a period Mm. of time, which right at the beginning seems to make a lot of sense Mm. for everyone, but it seems to be over time. Yeah, I don't think it was enjoyable for either of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, And, you know, it can be that you know, it's actually not the best outcome for a buyer to yes. have the seller there for a yes. long period of time. Yeah, totally. Um, not just from the seller's perspective, mm. you know. So it's yeah. interesting reflecting. Yeah, and I mean, I've got, like we call it our earnout support group, that there's probably, <laughs> I mean, six or seven business owners that I know that have both had multiple seven-figure um, sales and we all kind of sold around that same kind of six to 12-month period and then was talking and then someone else would do it and then they call and go, you know, did this happen in your own out? Did that happen in your own out? And you'll be like, 
like, yeah, yeah. And they're like, what the fuck? Why did you not tell me about this? I'm like, you can't. You're not allowed to tell people about it. But everyone had had like these same negative experiences. So pretty much now, and then th- that's the thing. You'll never hear the truth about someone's earnout because you're not allowed to talk about it. Thank you, lawyers. Um, and so <laughs> well, no one wants to get sued. I'll give you these insights. This is this is the yeah. benefit yeah. of talking to your lawyers and your lawyers being able to tell you the truth. Yes. Both sides of the yeah. equation. Yeah. And so my advice normally now to people is, you know, only do an earnout if you don't have too much writing on it in terms of like the potential sale price increase on there if it's not too much. If it's just a time earn out, then yeah, because you can kind of just, you know, bludge your way through it. I've got one friend and she just sits at home and drinks wine in the afternoon and collects a <laughs> paycheck and, and that seems lovely. <laughs> but for a lot of people, when you've got to hit KPIs but you've got no control over the company in which you've got to hit the KPIs in, it can be really, really challenging. And so I would say take a lesser amount and move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I think it's a really good point. I love this earnout support group. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking like there must be a way we can coin this phrase. We must be able to set up a support, like an actual support group, Tina. Somewhere yeah, there's I a lot. Think. There's a lot. You'd need very strict confidentiality. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is the reason why, you, you know, con- the contractual elements are mm. so important. Yeah. Um, and whilst they can seem laborious, you know, the... Mm. You know, working through what are the controls for the earnouts yeah. and how yeah. are we controlling the calculations? How are we controlling yeah. what can and can't be done during yeah. this period are yeah. actually yeah. just critical. Yeah, but there's things you just couldn't imagine. Like everyone I know in an earnout has got to the situation that they're like, they did this, and you're like, what? Like you would never anticipate that scenario. You go, that's wow. that's like a sweet hell way to switch stitch you up. Like that's. <laughs> That's ingenious, actually. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the sweet, what, 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 what was that phrase you just said? The sweet hell weight? <laughs> okay, we've got to make that a tweet somewhere. I love that one. Okay, well, that is That's just... not me. That's for other people in my earnout support group, just to make that clear. <laughs> yeah, in your, yes, yes, yeah. yes, I understand. You're just talking about what you've heard. So we talked about that earn out and, and, and staying with the business. And sorry, how yeah. long was it that you stayed on? With it was a two-year earn out, so 24 yeah. months. I actually um, chucked Did a Jerry Maguire-style tantrum and left at <laughs> 19 months. Right, okay, I was going to say. <laughs> I nearly made it. question, is it? Do you make yeah. it to the end? Yeah, okay. I nearly made it. And so I lost a bucket load of money uh, leaving early and I had so many gorgeous friends at the time going, oh, my God, like you've got like four more months to go, like just with it you are so close to the end um but my mental health was suffering so badly and Mm. yeah it was the best decision I ever made to Mm. leave early Mm. I just wish I'd done it earlier Mm. but you know us entrepreneurs we're stayers we're committed (laughs) yes 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 we have talked about this foible I think it it certainly is one um uh, not of you of entrepreneurs as a whole a hundred percent um, okay, so what else when you reflect back? Were there other were there other things that you reflect on that you wish you had have known in advance? I wish I had have known how good life would be after. I know um, the day after I sold, especially the day after I finished my earnout, because that business was my life. I started it when I was twenty, and it, it's it was such a big part of me and a big part of my identity, and. 
the day that I left, like I had to hand over my computer, my phone, everything. And then the next day I went from being so contactable and so in demand all the time to just silence and no one could find me. And it was Mm. the most weird feeling I've ever had in going, so what do I do now? (laughs) What am I going to be when I grow up? I don't know. And then I went through like this massive identity crisis and going, okay, well, you can do anything. And then I was going, well, what do you what do you want to do? And I had forgotten what came naturally to me because as business owners, we have to do all the things. So Mm. I'm really good at marketing. I could do that. A lot of people got me to do speeches like I'd been speaking for a bit then, all about systems and automation because I was great at systems and automation because I had to be. And I was like, Mm. did I do it because I have to be or did I do it because like I like it. I don't Mm. think I love systems. I don't Mm. know. I just love what they can do. And so I went through all these things and I didn't know what, so I started six businesses in the six months after I left, um, trying to figure out what came naturally and what I enjoyed and what I did and all of that sort of thing. Um, And yeah, just Mm. had to find my feet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And and in the sale process, do do you feel like, you know, I often see there's unexpected emotion in a sale. Um, this, you know, you've built this, it's your business baby mm. often, you know, for, for many, in, in fact, I would say for most business mm. owners who've been with the business for, um, you, you know, a fair period of time, mm. it's your business baby and there's a often a bit of emotion in that um, and identity as well. Yeah, Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think from my perspective, that's something that perhaps is not fully appreciated in terms of this emotional roller coaster that you'll go through as a seller. And as a buyer, quite often um, unappreciated in terms of how communication can have certain impacts because of this emotional rollercoaster. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, and I mean, I wasn't ever one that would say, oh, you know, and my baby over here, like my third baby is the business. Like I never (laughs) treated it like that. To me, it was was a serious-ass business that was going places. Um, But in saying that, like I sacrificed everything for that Mm. business. Like I had my babies when I had it and chose to keep pumping at that instead of staying at home with them. Mm, and and mm. I just sacrificed so much. And even when we decided to step up the franchise and we needed a whole lot of investment, we made the decision that we couldn't afford to pay our mortgage at the same time. So we rented our house out and moved into a little granny flat mm. for a year so that we could fund all the money back into the business. And just like so many sacrifices had been made to make it into what it was. And it's it's kind of like I always say, with business, it's what you do when no one's watching that's going to make the biggest difference. And there's mm. no one there to pat you on the back and there's no yeah. one there to say well done. But it's like at on sale day, I had such a combination of feeling so incredibly proud for what I had made. And that day I became a very wealthy woman as well, mm. but also devastated that mm. I couldn't last the distance to what I expected it was. Mm. And I felt like such a failure. And I had all of these like crossing emotions all happening at the same time. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so then... Um, did you feel you had, you talked about the need to reestablish what it is that you were good at and what you actually like to do versus what you had been doing and, and been doing well. Did you find that there was a period of time in also finding an identity for yourself outside yeah. of the business? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. 
And so how did you go about finding that new identity? So what did you do when you sold the business? Well, I know the answer, but I just love these stories. Just tell our listeners what you did. Like I started walking on the beach like a normal person, like the same psychologist telling me about the tennis thing. He's like, well, you've got to find a hobby, Tina. I'm like, a hobby? What is this thing? (laughs) I'm like, he's like, what do you do for fun? I work. I freaking love my work. Anyway, so I started like walking on the beach in the morning and, and I had adrenal fatigue too, which I think most business owners would at some point because our cortisol levels are so high and we're just constantly pumping under adrenaline um but probably one of the craziest things i did was i was reading my kids this this book series and absolutely loved it and was like oh my god and then one of my sons said this would make the most awesome movie i'm like dude you are right it would make an awesome movie we should make it into a movie and he's like yeah mom let's do it they're such enablers of me and so (laughs) I rang the author and I bought the film rights to this book series <laughs> and then I went over to Hollywood and had all these meetings with film producers and studios in trying to make like the next Maleficent cross Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> and I did not accomplish it. Oh, <laughs> but no. I did go to a film premiere there next to Charlize Theron and was like standing wow. there like pissing myself laughing going... <laughs> How have I ended up here? This is ridiculous. So that was probably the silliest idea that I tried. I started a jewelry company. I started a clothing company. I just, I just did lots of different things. But throughout it, I was business coaching people because a lot of people were going, you know, I'd like to build and sell my company. Mm. Mm. And so I did that and we decided at the same time after my six businesses and I was like, you know what I think I need actually instead of all these businesses is a rest. This yeah. is what I think I need. I think I need some time because I was just so hell-bent on just trying to find the next thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So many people were saying, are you going to retire now? I was 33 when I mm-hmm. sold. So I'm going, I can't just like stop now. Like this, I have so much more to give and it's not about the money. It's about what do you do with your life if yeah. you don't do that anymore? Um, and so we went around the world. We packed everything up. We sold our house, our cars, everything, and we traveled to 28 countries across the world. Um, And so while I was coaching, while we were away, every Tuesday morning, I would keep business coaching my private clients. And so often I could like hear myself repeating the same thing again and again. So I thought, you know what, these repeatable parts I can put into an online program. And then when I have individual sessions, it's just really drilling down on what they need rather than all this general stuff. And so I did that and that was the greatest surprise of my life. I put it up there and then like in the first launch, we, I did a webinar and then first launch and I made $11,000 like of recurring revenue every month going forward that people signed up for this monthly program. And I'm like, huh, how about that? <laughs> like this is what I used to earn running a franchise and you tell me I've got to show up for a one one hour masterclass every week. <laughs> this is all right. And so I kind of started getting on to that and then a whole lot of people started asking me how they can package their expertise into online courses and so over the last couple of years I've become obsessed with it because that's what I do. And mm. so now that's what I do is run a mastermind for women that are kind of thought leaders in this space and doing publishing and podcasting and online programs and all of that sort of thing. And I love it. Awesome. So reflecting back on all of that, do you have, what sort of advice or tips do you have for business owners? So let's, let's talk about business owners that probably form a large component of our listeners, the ones mm. who are right in the depths mm. of slogging away at oh, their business I feel at the moment. And if they're listening to this podcast, they probably have in mind this one day that they can yeah. 
make this exit and then do their trip around the world. I yeah. think, you, you know, you're talking about a dream that... Um, that is real. It's possible. Many of us have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's, yeah. What, what would you say? Yeah, as, you, you know, your yeah. pearls of wisdom. Tina. My pearls of wisdom. Now <laughs> I wish I had planned something profound. Um, but I think um, w- probably one of the biggest things that I've learned is bigger isn't always better. Um, and so I thought with traditional business that I would do like the respectable business that was traditional and, and big. And then if I grew it, it would get to the stage. But bigger just meant like harder. And mm. I always thought, you know, once I mastered that set of problems that I would be fine and, and I could move on. And, you know, the universe just rewarded me by giving me a whole host of new problems to solve. An example of that, like when we were doing our budget all the time, like when we were at 19 franchises, we made the same amount of profit as what we did when we had 22 because mm. we had to hire more staff and more infrastructure mm. and all of that sort of thing. So we would have to work out like these sprints and kind of open in chunks because otherwise we could add more sites, but actually make less profit Mm. and it was just yeah so all probably bigger isn't always better is one of the things um that I didn't understand beforehand Mm. that that now I do because now I've got something that looks very not big and I make seven figures a year and it's Mm. just like this is awesome um so that's one of the biggest ones and then I would probably say like keep your joy is because I forgot for a few years that you know, we just have this short life and it's supposed to be fun. Mm. And if it stops being fun, we're allowed to move on and find something else. Like, you know, we could be like toddlers and go, I'm the boss of my own life. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I felt such a responsibility to my staff and the franchisees that had bought in that I couldn't like in my mind give up because I didn't want to fail them and Mm. I didn't want to disappoint them. But in the end, I was killing myself trying to keep everybody happy Mm. um, and sacrificing my own happiness. And, you know, life is short. Just follow the joy, do it while you enjoy it. And then once it starts to get, and I mean, yeah, we were all going to have bad days and bad months, but if it's like month after month after month and nothing's going to turn around, find a new game. Yeah. 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 And do you feel reflecting that you sold at what is the what was the right time for you now yeah. reflecting back on your history? Yeah. Um that that was the right point it shouldn't have been earlier it should have shouldn't have been later that you know. Yeah. I mean maybe a year earlier would have been better. And what does that connect to? Is that when you feel like you may have had more energy for the sale? Because that's the other thing, isn't it? There's a lot of energy in a sale. Well, we had a massive um, growth upswing the year earlier. Mm. So the trajectory was awesome source. Mm. Um, Whereas we'd plateaued for like six months at the time that I went to sell because I didn't want to sell anymore while I had it in my head. Like I didn't want to sell any more franchises while I Mm. had in my head that I might sell the company because I felt like I was duping people in some way. Um, So I put the brakes on a Mm. little bit. Uh, But I probably would have done that a year earlier anyway. So (laughs) So, so maybe reflecting back, you know, selling at that point is, and, and, you know, I certainly agree with you, selling at a point where you've just had massive growth can be a very, very good point to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is interesting because many business owners, it's not that point that they suddenly 
think of sale. It's yeah, go when, out while you're on an upswing. Yeah, that's that right. curve is like getting to the top. That's the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Gosh, the tell you what, the tips in this podcast today, <laughs> Tina, all of our listeners, they are getting some gold. I absolutely <laughs> love it. I've got one last question mm-hmm. um, before we round up. What was your favourite country? In ooh, ooh. Do you know, I've been asked this question so many times and I never have a straight answer. Um, <laughs> I think because 28 countries, like, they're so different. You know, we went to the Mongolian desert and got stranded in there for three days with no water, wow. which sounds horrific, but, God, it was no. the best experience ever. Um, and we, we slept <laughs> in, an, in a, an igloo in Finland and saw the Aurora Borealis. Wow. And then in Croatia we sailed around on a yacht for a couple of weeks and it was just, like there were so many things that were just like, oh amazing amazing it was just the whole thing was just the best experience ever and I kind of feel like I peaked too soon and life could never be that good again oh no (laughs) I got back I'm like you know what there there comes a moment where you've got to acknowledge that was the best year of your life (laughs) I don't see how it could ever get any better yeah and I feel I feel that it's not possible that you don't have a plan for recreating that kind yeah. of joy again. What is your plan, Tina, well, for recreating that joy? Now. In the it's different. So we have moved eleven times in eighteen years. Wow. And our kids have been moved around a lot. And especially with the travel and everything, they they've been moved around a lot. So now we've just bought a couple of months ago two and a half acres on the central coast of New South Wales, just near a beautiful beach. We've got the kids in a great school and my 12-year-old actually gave me a contract for him to sign because he goes, I know you respect contracts, mum, to say that we will not go (laughs) anywhere until he finishes high school. And so now the dream, and I mean, it's not hard to stay put. Like we've got two and a half acres. I've got three different buildings. So we've got our house and we've got our office and I've got what I call my leisure lounge. And we've got a half pipe and a tennis court and it's all very lovely. Um, But, yeah, for the next eight years, it's just about them and giving them some stability and just having a nice, normal life. Oh, I love it. And I, yeah. I love clearly the family appreciation of contracts too. I mean, yes. I can't let that slip past yes. without picking it up. Yes, that's <laughs> it, yeah. But, I mean, I'm not saying on the day that they leave, I might be on a plane to Costa Rica to buy a surf resort for a few months. <laughs> Tina, what an absolutely fabulous discussion. (laughs) Um, And, you know, look, reflecting back on it all, all of that pain, all of those sacrifices you made building this business and, you know, when you were operating on this assumption that maybe bigger is better, Mm. you know, I, I guess it sounds like that gave you a ticket to a number yeah. of things that oh, many people would 100%. only dream of. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you feel it was all worth it? Oh, totally. Yeah. And that's what I said to people like going, you know, if you're looking at franchising because you've got to scale your service-based business or a product-based business or anything like that, it's fabulous. It's fabulous. Mm. Like I would not have the life and the freedom that I have now had I not done it or the knowledge to be able to package my business knowledge into coaching yeah. programs and that sort of thing. Like there's rarely someone that comes across my desk with a business problem that I have not gone through personally. <laughs> it's, mm. it's, um, it's amazing. So it's all part of the journey and it all leads you to where you're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I absolutely love it. Thanks, Tina. Tina, can I just say thank you so much for joining me today? I have 
absolutely loved and adored this discussion. Um, and I think our listeners are going to go wild for it as well. Um, <laughs> as it and goes around in a million different directions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and how do they find you, Tina, if they yeah. want to find out more about, you know, the amazing things that you're doing with business owners yeah. right now? I'm pretty easy to find. You can just go tinatower.com. Excellent. Wonderful. Tina, I just want to say thank you again. Thanks, and it's a pleasure. You have a fabulous time on your acres. <laughs> I will. Thank you. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you. So that's it for this episode of the Deal Room podcast, where we spoke, of course, with the amazing Tina Tower, all about her experience in building, growing, and then finally exiting her business. And of course, then the discussion about the lessons that she learned and where this has taken her to in her current business activities. If you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you just love to read it in more detail. There, you'll also be able to find out how to contact Tina Tower and you'll find that in our show notes as well. So if you'd like to get in contact with Tina Tower, then head over to the show notes or our website. And of course, on our website, you'll also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal. If you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions, or indeed if you're looking at an earnout yourself and you want to ensure that you are employing the absolute best in contractual protections for you, whatever side of the fence you are sitting on. And don't forget, if you haven't listened to our other amazing episode with Tina Tower and you're interested in hearing more about the backstory of the business that Tina ultimately sold, then head over to Talking Law and in our show notes, we'll link through to the episode that we have with Tina Tower where we discuss how she launched into licensing and then ultimately franchising and some of the uh, positives and some of the negatives of that process. Well, that's it. I um, I really hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I really enjoyed recording it. Um, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then of course, don't forget to head over to your favorite podcast player and hit subscribe. And if you feel so inclined, you might also like to leave us a review. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast a podcast very proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies and gentlemen.
will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 